Alonzo. Luke. Listen to this. Now then, sir, about the uh, donation? Well, now, let's see. I know how to treat the poor. My taxes go to pay for the prisons and the poor houses. The homeless must go there. But some would rather die. If they'd rather die, then they'd better do it and decrease the surplus population. Oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. Hey, that sounds like Beaker. <laughs> yes, but I want to talk about Michael Caine. Uh, Ebenezer Scrooge. Ebenezer Scrooge. Paradigm case of an immoral person who doesn't care about anything but his bank account. Here's why I bring this up. A lot of people, when you tell them that some theory of morality demands that they should care about other people, will say, like Scrooge, yeah, but why should I care about morality? Why should I care what other people want? So what I want to know is, what can we say to Scrooge? Why should he care about other people? Well, I'm not saying that he should. Maybe he shouldn't. And even if he should, talking to him probably won't do any good. At least not in the short term. Alonzo, what do you mean maybe Scrooge shouldn't care about other people? Well, a lot of people seem to think that morality is concerned with finding some magic phrase or syllogism that will automatically turn somebody like Scrooge into a nice person. Hmm. They look at a theory like desirism and they ask, what is your magic phrase? When they don't see a magic phrase that works, and they won't because there is no magic phrase that works, they say that the theory fails. Desirism actually says that there is no magic phrase that works. You won't find one, not here, not anywhere. Okay, so you're not going to give us a magic phrase for making Scrooge a nice person, but what are you doing then? Well, since we don't have a magic phrase for getting Scrooge to at least act like a nice person, even if he isn't a nice person, what tools do we have? Well, uh, how about a nice two-by-four to the side of the head? Okay, that'll work. We can threaten him and make good on our threats if he tests us. We can say, Scrooge, if you don't act like a nice person, we will thwart some of your desires. To keep those desires from being thwarted, you now have a reason to act like a nice person. Hmm. All forms of punishment, fines, imprisonment, execution... Branding, whipping, caning, detention, time out. All of them deprive a person of the ability to fulfill their desires. All of them give a person a reason to act in ways that will avoid punishment. I think I can see some problems with that option, though. I mean, first, we have to catch him in the act, right? So I can imagine mm -hmm. that Scrooge might be pretty good at covering his tracks, like the guys at Enron. Um, yeah. And if Scrooge thinks he can get away with it, then our threats won't give him much of a reason to act nicely. Nope. And second, what if Scrooge has a bigger weapon than we do? What if we're not powerful enough to carry through with our threats because he like, bribes the police or something? So, okay, Scrooge is avoiding our threats either because we don't know what he's doing or we do know but we're not powerful enough to threaten him successfully. So it seems what we really need is an all-knowing, all-powerful, invisible judge of some sort that Scrooge can't hide from and who he can't beat. 
We'll tell Scrooge that our invisible judge will always know when he's not acting like a nice person. And we'll tell him that our judge will punish him mercilessly. Say, burning him alive forever or something like that. And our invisible judge is so powerful that there is nothing Scrooge can do to avoid punishment. Now Scrooge has a reason to act like a nice person all the time. (laughs) Well, that might work if we can convince him of all that. But it's a lie. Our invisible judge doesn't exist. Well, that's just a technicality. We can convince ourselves that he does exist, then we're not lying. People convince themselves of useful fictions all the time. Or maybe we can convince our children that this invisible judge is real, then they can pass the story on to their children, and they'll not be lying. They're going to think that we told them the truth. Well, okay, but what's to stop Scrooge from making up his own invisible judge who thinks that being mean to people is okay? Well... And and Scrooge isn't the only one who can make up an invisible judge. I mean... John the Fishmonger can say that the Invisible Judge wants us all to eat fish every day. And Bob the Weed Farmer can say the Invisible Judge wants us all to eat bread every day. And Sally the Marketing Executive can say that the Invisible Judge wants us all to watch four hours of TV every day. And Tom the Slave Owner can say that the Invisible Judge thinks it's okay to own slaves as long as you don't treat them too badly. Or Fred, who thinks gay sex is just gross, can say that the Invisible Judge thinks homosexuality is an abomination. Enough already. I get the point. Okay. (laughs) Do you think something like that might actually happen? It's possible. Well, listen. Here's something I've noticed. If you leave a kid alone, unwatched, in a room with a spinach souffle, (laughs) and he hates spinach souffle, Uh and he knows that this is a spinach souffle, he's not going to try to sneak a taste. (laughs) No, he won't. Because he doesn't like it. Yes, you're very perceptive. So we can get Scrooge to act like a nice person if we can get him to like to do the things that nice people do Hmm. and not like to do the things that nice people won't do. Hmm. Here. You leave something valuable at your desk at work. One good way to make sure other people don't walk off with it is to make it so that they hate walking off with things that belong to you. They'll be like the kid with a spinach souffle. People who do not like the taste of walking off with your stuff aren't going to do it, even when we aren't watching them. Hmm. It works better than a two-by-four because you don't have to catch them and you don't need to be more powerful than them, and you aren't inventing invisible judges. Hmm. So giving someone a distaste for walking off with your stuff is actually more effective than threats or invisible judges. Well, right. But how do you get somebody to have a distaste for stealing? Well, the short answer is that this is done by praising people who don't steal and by condemning those who do steal. Praise tends to cause people to want to do the types of things that are praised, while condemnation tends to cause people to have an aversion to the things that are condemned. And not just the person praised or condemned. It works on those who witness the praise or condemnation. Hmm. It even works if they hear it in a story. It's not perfect, but it tends to work that way. You know, you're right about that. I mean, think about slavery. For thousands of years, most people thought slavery was okay. It was just the way things were. But then, all of a sudden, in the space of just a few generations, a lot of people changed their minds about slavery. 
And why? It wasn't because the laws changed. Obviously, the people's feelings about slavery had to change before they changed the laws. Right. And the reason I don't own slaves isn't because it's illegal. It's because I don't want to own slaves. I mean, the whole idea of owning another person is just, ugh, to me. And the question is, where did that black come from? <laughs> Actually, it was more of a, ugh. Okay. <laughs> Still, whatever it is, black. people living 300 years ago didn't feel it. Unless they were slaves. Black. And that distaste for slavery makes it so that we would not want to own slaves today, even if somebody managed to make it legal. Yeah. We don't have to be threatened to prevent us from enslaving others, and we don't need stories of invisible judges. Yeah, and here's a more personal example to me. Back when I was a Christian, I actually signed a petition against gay marriage because that's what I thought God wanted. But... When I went to college, I ran into a lot of really cool, smart people who served up a lot of condemnation against people like me who were prejudiced against homosexuals. And mm -hmm. they also had a lot of praise for people who let others live the way they wanted as long as they weren't hurting anyone. And all that praise and condemnation really had an effect on my feelings toward homosexuals. Good. And it's part of the reason I don't object to homosexuality or gay marriage or any of that praise and condemnation changed my desires and the same thing is happening to millions of people across the country I mean support for gay marriage is more widespread today in America than it was even five years ago according to the polls well if we're confessing our past moral failings it used to be the case that I didn't care about making others wait for me mm -hmm. I would take my good sweet time and I'd get there when I got there <laughs> That's something I got soundly condemned for. Now I'm only late when I really can't help it. Yeah. So we have three tools for getting Scrooge to act like a nice person. There's the two-by-four method, the option <laughs> of punishment and reward. We can call that the law option. Uh -huh. There's the religion option, inventing an all-knowing invisible judge. Mm -hmm. And there's this third option of using praise and condemnation to cause people to want to do nice things and to have an aversion to doing not-so-nice things. You know, there's still a problem with the third option, though. I mean, Scrooge is already a mean person, and he's going to do mean things. And if you condemn him, he's probably just going to shrug and keep being mean to people. So how are you going to get him to act like a nice person? Well, unfortunately, there's no more options. Hmm. In that case, Scrooge is going to act like, well, Scrooge. You can threaten him, and if he thinks your threats have weight, then that will work. You can lie to him and tell him about your invisible judge, or maybe use some less exotic lie, like saying he can get richer through niceness than through meanness. Mm -hmm. If you can convince him of that, the lie might work. Or you can try praise and condemnation, but those are only rarely going to work overnight. Well, unless you have three ghosts handy with magic powers and a gift for knowing exactly what to say. <laughs> yeah. In the absence of ghosts and magic words... Threats will require knowing when he does evil and the power to make good on the threats. Lies about invisible judges can be hijacked. And praise and condemnation will take some time to have an effect. Like I said at the start of the episode, if you've turned to desirism to discover the magic words that will cause anybody to do good and avoid evil, then you might as well be looking for the fountain of youth. But maybe if we had been using praise and condemnation on Scrooge for 20 years... Maybe by now he would want to do the nice thing. 
or those who knew Scrooge when he was younger and more susceptible to effects of praise and condemnation had done so. And he was not under the influence of people teaching him selfishness and hatred for those who were poor. Maybe then he would be a nicer person today. But Alonzo, I want magic answers. But Luke, I want that fountain of youth. <laughs> this podcast is about morality in the real world, not an imaginary world with magic words that will make anybody nice. Fine. So, are we talking about morality yet? Well, actually, yes, we are, but we're trying to ignore that for now. Remember, we're trying to explain desirism without moral terms first. Because moral terms bring with them all kinds of baggage from 10,000 years of people using them who had lots of wrong ideas about morality. Mm -hmm. In this episode, we're discussing three ways to get somebody to act like a nice person. Threats and rewards. Stories about invisible judges and the use of praise and condemnation to get them to want to act like a nice person. Okay, so we've looked at desirism through the lens of Elf and Betty on the distant planet, and through the lens of what we can do with Ebenezer Scrooge. What's next? Well, let's make sure we're making sense to people so far. For our next episode, we'll be answering questions from our listeners. Okay, so if you want to ask a question about what we've discussed so far... You can leave that question in the comments on the website, or you can call 413-723-0175 and leave your question in the voicemail, and then we'll play it back on the air and respond to it. Hold on. What was that number again? I wasn't ready. 413-723-0175. Okay, Luke. See you next time when we face the Inquisitors. See you then. Hi.